I'm Mark. I'm the senior leader here, just in case you haven't met me before. And uh, I'm excited this morning because we're starting a new series. It's just, got, just a two-parter, but I think it's going to be really helpful to you. And uh, it's called Fatal Distraction. If you've ever seen the other film, nothing to do with that one. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to do with that one. But I, it was kind of a nice title, so we went for it anyway. Okay, so I've got a question to start this off. Here's, here's the question. How many of you think there are less distractions in life than there was 10 years ago? Okay, let's, let's try a different question. How many of you think that there are the same number of distractions as there was in life 10 years ago? Some of you are going, I wasn't around 10 years ago. Okay, let's, let's try the easy one. Then. How many of you think there are more distractions in life than there was 10 years ago? That's why we're doing this series. That's why we, we, we're doing this because actually the Word of God has a lot to say on this subject. And uh, the, 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 the point of doing this is to make it practical so we actually use it. I was, uh, I was listening to somebody uh, do a, a preach a few weeks ago and they made this comment. And it's a controversial comment, so it's not mine, okay? But I liked it. They said this, they said, there are no deep preaches. There are no deep preaches, okay? And I, I'm sure we've all experienced that. You know, like when you, you've sat in a meeting and you, you've listened for like 40 minutes and 50 minutes and you get to the end of it and you go like, yeah, it sounded good, but what did he say? And there was a lot of Greek in it. And we go, and somebody says, yeah, but it was really deep. And you're going, yeah, it was. Like, I have no idea what he said, but it was really deep. Here's the point. There are no deep preaches. The thing that makes a difference in our lives is deep application of simple principles. That's what helps us grow. That's what makes us into mature Christians. Wherever we are on that, that spectrum of walking with Jesus, not knowing Jesus, uh, right through to being with Jesus and followed him for 40 or 50 years, wherever we are on that spectrum, the thing that makes a difference is the it's applying things to our life. So what we try and do is communicate those principles simply and hope they get applied deeply. And, and that's, that's what we're about. Now, one of the things that stops us doing that is distractions. And uh, when, you, when you look at this and you, you look at it on the internet, I, I typed in top five, well, I typed in top 10, but we get bored with them, but top five workplace distractions. And, and this is what it comes up with. There you go. Top five workplace distractions. Somebody actually took the time to do a survey of this, and that's what they came up with. Now, because you're from Cambridge or around Cambridge, you're very clever, and you will have already noticed there's a theme in there. Yeah? Mobile phones, email, social media, internet, and I guess a lot of the gossip is around what's on social media. I don't know. But we have a different world that we live in now. When Faith Life started uh, 16 years ago, I'd never sent a text. Email and the internet, it had just moved on from dial-up. It, it came, but if you had a picture, it used to load slowly down your screen like that. So there was no streaming. You couldn't listen to any other preachers. You can't go home and say, Mark was terrible this morning, let's listen to a decent one. You, can't, you, you couldn't do that then. And, and so 
we have a very different world we live in. And it's a distracting world. Well, it's a word distraction. So, you know, again, because we're Cambridge, I've, I've, got, I've got some Latin in this one. Who hated Latin at school? Yeah, terrible. Worst, worst subject ever. Apart from woodwork. I was terrible at woodwork as well. Okay, so we've got, we've got this, this, this word, distraction. And it actually comes from a Latin word, distrahere. Distrahere. And what that means, the dis part is a part, and the trahere is to drag away or pull away. So when we're talking about distractions, we're talking about the, the, the original meaning of that word is it's something that pulls us away or pulls, up, pulls us apart. So what's it talking about? Well, you, your brain has a huge capacity. You probably heard it said we only use a certain percentage of capacity, but your brain's got this huge capacity. But... In all that capacity, you can only really focus on one thing at a time. And I know we, we talk about uh, multitasking and all that sort of stuff. I'll come on to that in a minute. But the more your attention is focused on what you are intending, you become more productive. The more your attention is focused on what you are attend, intending, you become more productive. But distractions pull your attention and your intention apart. They, they put a separation in there. Now, multitasking. This is where the girls listen and the guys are in denial. Okay? So I'm going to help you guys. So this is our moment. This is our moment. You cannot multitask. It's actually impossible. What we do is we task switch. And girls are better at juggling multiple tasks and going in and out of the other. We task switch. Now, the problem with task switching, multitasking, is this. And again, with all these things, there's people who research these things, you know, clever people who get paid to do this. And there's a guy called Miller at MIT in the US which claims to be kind of nearly as good as Cambridge, but that can't be possible, can it? But this guy, Miller, he said this, task switching wastes time, makes you error-prone, and decreases your ability to be creative. So the more we have to task switch, the less productive we get and the less creative we get. And you might say, well, well what's, what's the point of this? Well, I'll get, I'll get onto that in a second. So the people who go, well, but I can multitask, yeah? Technically, I know you said you can't, but you can only multitask if one of the two tasks requires no cognitive ability. So that is, it allows you to still be able to eat while listening to music. That's about the limit of it. Okay, so that, that, that's the thing. Now, we all did that little survey at the start, and we all said things were more distracting. And that's because of technology. Technology has changed things. It's changed things for us as believers. It's changed things in our everyday lives. And it causes demands on us 
that continually require us to switch tasks. Joyce sent me a little video this week of, of the, the, like the relationship-destroying ability of a mobile phone. And, and ever since then, mine has not been on the dinner table. Okay, oh, everybody else in the family's had their phone on the dinner table. Mine's not there. Okay, but people have recognized that the world has changed and things have changed because of this technology. And they have a word for it, a new social disorder that is affecting us all. And it's called continuous partial attention. Continuous partial attention. And it's tiring, it's exhausting. You know, like so many more people now say, I'm tired. And it's, and it's because of this that we are continuously partially attending to lots of different things. So, what's the problem? What, what does that lead us into? What, what's the relevance for us as believers? Right, okay, just, just take a step back to the stuff that I've talked about at the start of the year around vision. But here I'm talking about your own personal vision, your own dreams for your life, the things that you want to see in your life. And when we have this continuous partial attention, it causes loss of focus. And loss of focus is important because if you're, if you're a leader or you're a parent or you're at work or you're a husband or you're a wife or you've got friends, what that causes you to do, loss of focus leads to loss of vision. Loss of focus leads to loss of vision. Now, if you remember when we talked about vision, there's a verse that we started out with which said, my people perish for lack of vision. Lack of, lack of something that they are aiming for that is important and is worth sacrificing for. And I, I read that verse and, you know, I look at that verse and I go, are we really dying because of that? Because it says, my people perish. Like, is God exaggerating? Here's the point. When you lose focus, relationships get damaged and they deteriorate. When you lose focus, organizations fail. When you lose focus and, 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 and you're, dist you're multiply distracted, your career stutters. Your job doesn't go so well. Jobs get lost. But the biggest cost is lives that just drift and go nowhere. So if I ask you a simple question, and I'm not looking for show of hands or an answer to this, but if you take yourself back, let's say, five years or maybe 10, those dreams that you wanted to see for your life, what got in the way of those? Some of us might have seen those dreams come to pass, but a lot of us missed them and we haven't got there. And stuff that we were really passionate about, we're no longer passionate about. And, and what we wanted to see, what we wanted to see God do through us, what we wanted to see God do in our lives, suddenly it gets all numbed down. It's like, it's like it gets medicated away. And we go, I still want to see it, but I just can't get my game. I just, and some of us just aren't bothered. And the reason is that is that with that lack of focus, with that continuous partial attention, with that distraction, it damages us 
over time. It sucks the life and the joy and the energy out of us. So we have to work out what to do with it. And that's what I'm going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to do a general principle. I'm going to tell you the answer this morning, and then we're going to look at the problems next week. I'm going to do it back to front. How's that sound? Because I did a series on spiritual disciplines before Christmas, and I got to the end of the first one, and I hadn't told you what they were. And Charlotte goes, but you left us all hanging. It's like watching EastEnders. So I'm going to give you the answer first today, and then I'm going to talk about how to use it next week. Is, is that okay? Right. When your attention is not where your intention is, your intention gets lost. When your attention is not where your intention is, your intention gets lost. And, and many of us are losing out in our lives now and have lost out in significantly in, in, in earlier years due to distractions in our life that distracted us from where we intended to go or what we intended to do or what we wanted to see or what we wanted God to do through us. And somebody who encountered something like this is uh, one of my favorite Bible characters called Nehemiah. Have you heard of Nehemiah? So Nehemiah is a character and he appears in the, in the Old Testament. So he comes before Jesus. Um, I'll give you a little bit of his backstory or the backstory of what's happening there. In 587 BC, so 587 years before Jesus, something major happened in Israel. And what happened was that the Babylonians conquered Israel. And they shipped off all Israel's brightest and best and they took them into captivity and they used them to boost their own economy and their own businesses and their own society. So it, it, they wiped everything out. They flattened, the temple was gone, the walls were gone, the gates were gone, the people were scattered and all the best people were taken to Babylon. That happens in 587 BC. Now, all em empires don't last forever. And what happened is a few years later, so 537 BC, 50 years after they've been taken into exile, Babylon gets conquered by a, an alliance of two groups of people called the Medes and the Persians. And one of them is led by a guy called Darius, and the other is led by a king called Cyrus. And Cyrus is really important to our story this morning. And King Cyrus, he's got no interest in these Israelites. He, he, he's gone, he's conquered Babylon, he's ruling his empire, and they're just a pain. Like, what do I do with them? And there's various events, and he decides they can go home. I'm going to send them back to Israel. And, and they can go home and build, rebuild the temple. And so, with, led by a guy called Zerubbabel, they, they go back. And they, they start, they, they, by 516, so not, what, 21 years later, they've rebuilt the temple. And it looks like it's all going well. But have, although they've rebuilt the temple, God's presence isn't with them. And the people are not thriving. They're mourning, they're complaining, they're doing what people do. 
and, it, and it's not going well. So what happens is there's another guy, and he's, he's still in Babylon, and he hears about this, and he's called Ezra. Have you heard of Ezra? Another one of these Old Testament characters. And Ezra hears about this, so he leads a second wave of people back to Jerusalem. He, take, he takes them back with, with the aim of restoring temple worship properly and starting to rebuild the city around the temple. And it didn't go well. In fact, it went really badly. And it was going so badly that in the end, Ezra admits that he's just doing what he's doing and making it up as he goes along instead of doing what God actually told him to do. And so it's not, it's not going well. Now, I want you to kind of imagine taking yourself back or looking backwards from where we are now to Edward VII, so the Queen Victoria's successor, just around, just over 100 years ago. We are now 100 years on that same time period between when they first went back to rebuild Jerusalem and they still haven't rebuilt it. That's a huge time period. And news starts to filter back to Babylon. This is where Nehemiah comes in. He, 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 he appears for the first time. So I'm going to start right at the beginning, Nehemiah chapter 1. And this is, this is how it starts. Anani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who just arrived from Judah. That, that's where Jerusalem is. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem's been torn down again, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So all those dreams of all those people have never come to fruition, and we're 100 years on. And Nehemiah is shocked when he hears that. And, and it gets him inside. He grieves about it. And what happens next is it says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. He was, he was troubled inside. He was upset inside. That, that, that news shouldn't be. That's not what should be. He sits down in the wet and he says, in fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then this happens. So Nehemiah um, works for the king at that time, and he's called Artaxerxes. That's the kind of name you want, isn't it? I got Mark. He got Artaxerxes. So he works for Artaxerxes. And here's what happens. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Now, this is a really significant thing. This th what was happening had troubled Nehemiah so much that he did something, and it's hard for us to comprehend, but this could cost him his life. Because he's sad before the king. The king can see that he's troubled. Now, kings generally don't care about the people that work for them, particularly in those days. 
And so he, he could have had him dismissed. He could have had him thrown out. He could have just like, you're not pleasing me, go. Okay? So he said, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asks me, why are you looking sad? So the king's noticed. And he goes, you're not sick, are you? You don't look sick to me. Because that's what he's, he's put it down to. You wouldn't want your wine served by a guy who was sick, would you? So he's, he's trying to find out what's wrong. And, and he's thinking, man, if he's coming, he's, he's serving me while he's sick, then, you know, I'm going to have something to say about this. And he says, you must be deeply troubled if that's not sickness. You must be deeply troubled. This is what Nehemiah says. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. It's hard for us to imagine, but just this guy, he's got the biggest empire that's ever existed to that point in time. He's the most powerful person on the planet. And it's no wonder Nehemiah is terrified because he's there, he's sad, he can't hide how he feels about things, and the king's picked it up, and he thinks he's in trouble. But I replied, long live the king, how can I not be sad? He's taking his life in his hands because Artaxerxes has no interest in helping some rebel nation at the outpost of his empire. So he says, for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king does something absolutely amazing, unexpected. He, does, he says this, the king asks, well, how can I help you? How can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the cities where my ancestors are buried. Why were things in such a bad state back in Israel? They were in a bad state because the people who'd gone back were living exactly the same as all the other people who weren't following God. The, 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 the world infected them and they prioritized all the stuff that was going on in the world around them rather than what God had given them to do. And that's, that's a challenge for all of us in this day that it's so easy to prioritize everything that's going in, on in life and to go through our life and never do the things God gave us to do. Never be the person God gave us to be. Never, never carry out the mission that he gave us to carry out. Because we're busy, because we're tired, because we're distracted, because there's other stuff going on. And, and that's what had happened here. They just got distracted and life took them over. Now, let's fast forward a minute. Let's go to chapter two. I'm going to jump about a bit. No, that, sorry. That, that was chapter. So, let me rewind. So, Nehemiah is talking about how he could not be sad. Something's got hold of him. He's got, in some versions it says, how can I not have this deep discontent? How can I not have this deep discontent? 
Here's, here's something that's really important for us. When something troubles us, we have to let it trouble us. When something bothers us, we have to let it bother us. And, and we've got kind of used these days, when something bothers us, to putting it on one side and just getting on. And, and because of that, those dreams, those things that bothered us, those things that should be, the things that God called me to do, the thing that God called me to be part of, the thing that God asked me to do, just goes on one side. Because we've got used to not letting that trouble us that we're not seeing what God gave us to see and not doing what God gave us to do. We stop ourselves being troubled. And the Holy Spirit is working inside us to stir up a hunger and desire for us to walk in, in what God asked us to do, to be the best we can be, and to fulfill the mission he gave us. And so when we, when we kind of avoid that and put that down and, and push it down and just get on with life, we're working against the Holy Spirit. And that gives us a problem. Because the Holy Spirit is where life and purpose and meaning come into our life. That's what, it, what he does in us. So we've got, we've got Nehemiah. He's got this deep discontent. Now, what happens is the minute that Artaxerxes tells Nehemiah to go, problems start. So Nehemiah is determined that he's going to do this. But the minute he sets out to do it and he gathers some people and he's going to go back to, to um, Jerusalem, he gets opposition. He gets opposition from outside, people who weren't part of, part of the Jews, people who were around him. They oppose him. And he gets something else. He gets dissension from the inside. And the thing is, whenever God calls you to be a deep work, to, to do a deep work for him, or he stirs up that discontent in you, we will, both, we will always face that. We'll face that perhaps as individuals in our job, our career, that thing that we're trying to do with our life. But we also face that in church. You face opposition from the outside and you face dis, discontent from the inside or dissension. And each of those distractions could have knocked Nehemiah off his mission. So, what kept Nehemiah on target? How did he deal with all those stuff? How did he deal with the opposition? How did he deal with the dissension on the inside? How did he deal with all the problems? How did he deal with going back to somewhere where people are just like completely pushed down all this stuff that God gave them to do and all this stuff that troubled them and were just getting on with their lives, working alongside and being part of all the society that was around them that was not following God. How do we get past all that stuff? Because it's not easy. If it was easy, I wouldn't have to do this series. But it's really difficult and it's really crucial. It's crucial in seeing what God gave you to do to come to pass, but it's also crucial in you seeing the, the fruition of those things you've dreamed about seeing and achieving in your, in, in your life apart from the church as well. So this is important. So 
let's go right to the end of the story. Told you it's going to go to the answer before I got to the things. So I'm going right, right to chapter six. And there's these guys, and they're, they're famous for being annoying. Like, if you, if you talk, talk about these guys, and it, people who've kind of read the Bible a lot go, these guys are the really annoying guys. And they're called San, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab. Remember those names. And the rest of our enemies. So we've got some enemies, but these are the bad ones. What happens? They found out that I'd finished rebuilding the wall. So he's got on with the job. I've finished rebuilding the wall. There's no gaps in the wall, but we haven't got the doors and the gates in it yet. And they come along and he says, so Sambala and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of, oh no. I, I think that's prophetic. No, I don't. Like, that's the place you don't want to go, the place of oh no, isn't it? When you want to achieve something, when you want to see something, you don't go to the place of oh no. You, you want to you wanna know yes when you're going for something. You don't want to know no. So they tell him to go to the plain of oh no. And Nehemiah susses out these guys because they're kind of running this story that they want to help him. But he sees that they don't want what he wants. And they're going to be a distraction and get in the way. Are you still with me on the story? He says, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work and I'm not coming down. He's on the wall, by the way. I'm, I'm engaged in a great work and I'm not coming down. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Because we're not going in the same direction. Is that, that's what he's implying. And, and four times they send this invitation to him. Come meet us on the plane of, oh no, we're going to help you. And four times he says exactly the same thing. I am engaged in a great work and I can't come down. I'm engaged in a great work and I can't come down. I'm engaged in a great work and I can't come down. So the fifth time, they try something different. He's not coming, so we'll go threaten him. So they go to Nehemiah and they say, hey, Nehemiah, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go back, we're going to go to King Artaxerxes, and we're going to tell him that although he's helped you, you're really planning to rebel against him, and then he'll come and kill you. So they threaten him the fifth time. How is it possible not to get distracted by all that stuff? What is Nehemiah's secret? How can, how can he keep saying, I'm doing a great work, I'm not coming down? I believe and I think that, that the answer lies in this. That deep discontent that Nehemiah let continue to trouble him. He let what troubled him continue to trouble him, that deep discontent. You know, when, when he said earlier on, when the king asked him, and he said, how can I not be sad? How can I not be sad? 
These are my people. This is where I came from. And inside, there's something deep that I know I have to do. Something deep that I desire to do. Something deep that God gave me to do. And I will not let it get pushed aside. I will not stop and just let the, everything that's going on in the world around me distract me from what is important in my life. That's, that's how he's thinking. That's his idea. That, make, that makes a difference. Because he's convinced that that rebuilding is essential. He thinks it's important, and it is. And what God's called you to is important, and it is. And nobody else is going to do it. So if you don't do it, the walls stay down. The gates never get built. The songs never get sung. The messages never get preached. The kids fall out of the kingdom. They don't survive university with a faith. If we don't do what God asks us to do, that's the consequences. And why would we not do it? Because we're distracted with life. Things become tiring and inconvenient. And we lose sight of that troubling of the Holy Spirit inside us, that hunger, that desire to see what God gave us to do and to do our part in what he gave us to do. Here's the answer. You can say a big enough yes to God that every other question and distraction gets taken care of. You can say a big enough yes to God he answers every other question. There's another guy who's, who studies this, and he's called, he's called David Brooks. And he, he, this is a quote from him. If you want to win the war for attention, remember, when your attention matches your intention, you are productive and you see things. When they get pulled apart by distraction, it stops you seeing things. This is what he says. If you want to win the war for attention, don't try saying no to the trivial and unimportant distractions. Try saying yes to the subject that arouses deep discontent and let that terrifying longing crowd out everything else. So you can say a big enough yes to God for what he gave you to do that it will crowd out every other distraction and you will be able to say, I'm doing a great work and I'm not coming down. I'm not going to let myself distract, be distracted. I'm not going to let myself get off track. Here's why that works. Because a great work, a great life lived is the flip side of discontent. Discontent, if you let it do its work in you, will produce a great work. It will achieve what the Holy Spirit intended it to achieve. You will see what God gave you to do. Because with that discontent, our could-be's become should-be's. We move from, well, it'd be nice. It'd be nice if faith life was reaching hundreds of people a week. It'd be nice. 
It'd be nice if we had revival. It would be. But to see that our could be's need to move to be should be's. This is what it should be. This is what it should be, and I will do what my part in doing that is. This is where my life should go. I want to, you know, God's given me a, a, a role to play in business. I'm, I'm moving it off church now. But God's given me a role to play with my family. God's given me a role to play here. And I'm going to do it well. But he's given us all a mission. Here's the thing. This is a challenge. To ask questions about ourselves where distraction and busyness cause us to lose sight of the great work that God called us to. Where are they? What is it for you? What is it for me? Is, is that something I've allowed to happen in my life? If I, if, if I go back five, ten years and I talk to that person, would they be happy with where my life is now and who I am or would they not? And they're, they're hard questions, aren't they? But they're important questions because they stir up that discontent and that discontent will stop distraction robbing you of the best life that you can live. When we lose touch with those burdens that are inside us, we get off course with that which is before us. So we need to get back in touch with those Holy Spirit burdens inside us. And that will need us to move out of our comfort zone, our getting through life zone, our lack of certainty zone. It'll need us to embrace change. It'll need us to embrace change in ourselves. But it's for something. It's not change for itself or, or just like this is another difficult thing I need to do. This is just an added thing. It's not for that. It's for something. It's for a greater level of meaning and fulfillment in your life. It's, it's for not getting to the end of your life and turn, people turning up in your funeral and have nothing to say about you apart from golf stories. Most funerals I've attended, people have not been remembered for anything except a few bad jokes on a golf course or in the pub. And that is so sad. If that's the sum of a life, how sad is that? And here's the point. When we have that great thing that the Holy Spirit's planted in us, when we, when we give it attention, we turn our attention there, it gives a great level of meaning and fulfillment in our life. It's for a better future for us, for us as individuals. It's for a better future for other people, others in your family. 
You know, we, we, we can spend so long trying to make things right for our family that we forget that the best thing we can ever do for them is show us living for Jesus and following Jesus. That's the best thing you can do for your family. But we get distracted by all sorts of other stuff. It's good for us because this gives us something meaningful to live for. Something that benefits us. Something that's a positive. And I want positives. I want to live a life of meaning. I want to live a life of purpose. I don't want golf stories told at my funeral. Mainly because I'm really bad at golf. But apart from that, and, and I only have dad jokes as well. So I don't want any of that. I want my life to count. I want to do what God gave me to do. I want to preach the best messages I can possibly preach. I want to live the life that Jesus gave me. I don't want to be so distracted by everything that I never do that. Because that would be so sad. What is it God's asked you to do? What, what did he ask you to see five, ten years ago? that you've not seen yet because life distracted us. Next week, I'm going to talk about the three things that distract us in life. I'll tell you what they are now. Too many things distract us in life. The urgent robs us of the important. Too many urgent things. Remember what I said at the start. We are in a different age and technology pushes stuff as urgent that never is. And we get involved in stuff we should never get involved in. And we get, we get our time robbed with stuff we should never have our time robbed with. And then fear. Fear of change. Fear that it won't work. Fear I can't do it. But every one of us, I think would want at our funeral to hear these words. They did a great work and they didn't come down. Amen.